hope and encouragement in uncertain times, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. what the last days are going to be like? If so, stay close by as we bring you an interesting study on the end times on Abounding Grace and Happy New Year. On this first day of the new year, Pastor Ed Taylor visits Matthew 24 and Daniel 12. We'll learn, among other things, that the time of the end will resemble Noah's day. Daniel chapter 12 and also Matthew chapter 24 in a Bible study that I've entitled Understanding the Times Part four. This is a sixth study in this little sub-series that we've been in. Looking at the end times, if we come to the end of Daniel and looking at how Daniel's book was for the end times, he was given something in his time to prepare for us living in this time, which is very encouraging to me. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 12 in Daniel, it says, At that time Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. And there'll be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Now, I want to pause here just for a second. I think I might even develop this into a message, but I want you to notice that Daniel is told that in the times of anguish and in the last days and, and in the times at the just preceding the coming of the Lord, there are going to be a special blessing for those that are sharing the gospel. There's a special blessing, he says. He says, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who many will, that lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. There, there's going to be an opportunity in the last days. There is an opportunity in these last days to shine like stars forever, to have that shining brightness of the Lord upon us as we take advantage of the times in which we live to further the gospel. Now, you can take the times in which you live and use it in a lot of different ways. There are a lot of different temptations, a lot of different tangents to take. But the one that will experience the brightness and the blessing of the Lord will be those that choose to walk in wisdom and share the gospel and lead many to righteousness. Lead, listen, lead many to righteousness. See, people will follow your lead whether you ask for it or not, whether you embrace it or not. God has placed you as a believer in this world and many people are following you. And when you think of that, just think, man, I want to lead them to righteousness. I want to lead them to the cross. So Daniel's told now, but you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Jump down to verse 9 with me in Daniel 12. But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I've said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. 
Many will be purified and cleansed and refined by these trials. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. And that's who we want to be. We want to be the wise ones that know what it means. We come to Daniel 12. We come to the Bible in a time in which we live, really any time, but especially in these times, and we ask, what will the end times look like? And it stirs up a lot of controversy because on one hand, there'll be those that you hear and say, oh, don't, don't open the Bible and don't compare it to the news. That's not how the Bible reads. And I disagree with that. I think as you open up the Bible and you begin to read the news and you begin to watch it unfold, it has an amazing parallel to what God predicted would happen in the end times. I believe that those that would say, oh, don't pay attention to the news and don't try to compare it to the scriptures are, are actually disobeying what Daniel was told. He said, write this down because in the right time period, it's going to make a lot of sense to the people that are living in the last days where, where knowledge is going to run to and fro and this is going to become real and, and understanding. And we need to be like the sons of Iskar as we read earlier. We need to be understanding of the time so we know how to lead well. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at various passages. Come back with me now to Matthew chapter 24. We've been looking at various passages throughout the Bible describing the end times. What will the end times look like? Because we've been told ahead of time. And even if some dismiss this, we can't dismiss this. Or if you choose to dismiss this, then you do so at your own peril. And you do so at the own peril of your family. And those that love you and are following your lead. If you don't take these times seriously, then the people that are close to you won't take these times seriously. Now notice, we've been looking at, up to this point, through verse 35, the teachings in Matthew 24 that's known as the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is answering the questions of his disciples of what will it be in the last days. And in particular, what's going to happen with the temple and the things that Jesus was teaching. Pick up with me now in verse 36 where we left off last time in Matthew chapter 24. It says, however, Jesus speaking, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. And people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So beginning in verse 36, I want you to mark that phrase, no one knows. Such an important phrase, simple enough but as for the specific timing of the return of Jesus Christ, no one knows. Say with me, church. No one knows. No one knows. I know with the mask you have to make a little bit of extra effort, but do it. Just a little bit extra effort. No one knows. So anybody meet you in, in a Home Depot there in the aisle when you're shopping and say, hey, guess what? I've got a new revelation. I've got, how, how, what, what do you know about the, the end times? You have somebody come to your door or someone hit you up at the market. Listen, no one knows. So the pamphlets are wrong. The emails are wrong. The books are wrong. The YouTube videos are wrong. The tweets, the blogs, the websites, don't receive them. Why? Jesus said, what did he say? No one knows. No one knows. And although, as it says in verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour, 
we know the times and the seasons. And we're expected to know the times and the seasons. We're expected to understand the times in which we live. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are, not only are our eyes open spiritually, because we're born again, but now we're able to see things from the perspective of God and not man. The problem is, is we've learned that we live in the atmosphere of this world, so we've been conditioned and taught and just pressed upon us to measure anything, everything that we face, we have a tendency to measure in the worldly, in the earthly realm. And God is always calling us to a higher level. And we can know the times. The times surrounding, uh, the, the, the situation surrounding the, to- the end times, he says, he says, okay, you want to know what it's going to be like in the end times preceding my coming? It's going to be like the days of Noah. The days of Noah. Hold your place here. Come back to Genesis chapter 6. Let's look at the days of Noah. You see, Jesus believed in a literal Noah. He believed in a literal ark, or in the New Living it says boat. He believed in a literal, a literal flood and a worldwide judgment. You know how people make fun of the ark. They make fun of Noah. They make fun of worldwide judgment. They make fun of the idea that there was a flood. And they would, the, the issue is not the factual information about it. Because sometimes you feel like, well, I, I'm not really a scientist. So I can't really make that argument about the flood and the layers. And I have to, well, you don't need to make that argument. All you need to do is say, do you believe what Jesus Christ said? Do you believe Jesus, and one of, the, one of the things I like to do is I like to ask somebody, do you believe Jesus Christ is a liar? Now people, a lot of people say things about Jesus, but many people hold short to say, oh yeah, I think he was a liar and a fraud. I think he came on the scene. Of course, if they admit that he is real, uh, and many people will do that, they'll stop short of saying, oh yeah, I think he's a liar and a fraud. Well then if he wasn't a liar and a fraud, then he believed in Noah's art. He believed in Noah. He believed in the judgment of God. And you would do well to follow him and listen to him. And so notice in Genesis chapter 6, he says, you want to know what the last, times, last days are going to be like? Look at Genesis 6 verse 1. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took them, any that they wanted, as their wives. And then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they're only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. And in those days, verse 4, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Now those of you familiar with this section of Genesis, the, the larger point of Genesis 6 is lost on... Who are the Nephilim or the Nephilites mentioned here? Who are they? And it gets lost on the debate. But that the real point of Genesis 6 is the time period. When Jesus refers back to the days of Noah, he doesn't try to explain who these people were and what, what, what exactly were there, who were the giants in the land. He says, I want you to understand something about Genesis 6. I want you to understand something about the days of Noah. You need to see what was happening there because when you see those things start to happen in your time period, look, the coming of the Lord is at hand. So notice what he says in verse 5. He says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he was made them and put them on the earth, and it broke his heart. 
And the Lord said, I'll wipe off this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. The times of Noah. What were the times of Noah like? Well, business as usual. No problems here. We're going to continue to live our life. We're going to make the best of things. And, and, you know, the thing about the days of Noah that we can't forget is that the days of Noah involved the bigger picture of the days of Noah was God's patience with the wickedness of men. God was patiently waiting for the people in Noah's day to repent. Every day, day after day, week after week, Noah, this preacher of righteousness, the Bible describes him as, was sending the message of hope and rescue and salvation through his obedience. God was giving the people an opportunity to repent, patiently waiting for a change of heart. Judgment could have easily come sooner if God so chose. But God's patience ruled and reigned year after year. And so today as believers, we have that tension where our hearts are desiring to see the return of the Lord. And at the same time, our hearts are wanting God to continue to be patient because we have friends and family that haven't repented of their sins yet. We have neighbors and bosses and co-workers that we love very much and we want to see come into the kingdom. And so at the one hand, we're like, Lord, rescue us and deliver us of this wicked, evil age. And on the, on the other hand, we're like, no, Lord, thank you for your patience. It's your patience that leads to repentance. Draw it down in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, remember, our Lord's patience gives time for people to be saved. You might have memorized in the New King James, he says, consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is for salvation. But I like the New Living. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And the return of the Lord is going to come as a surprise. They're building, mocking Noah, never, under, never don't have an understanding of what rain is, and then it's just going to happen, that first drop. And what is that? Well, it's the faithfulness of God. The world won't be expecting it. It's not until the church is removed and the judgment of God begins, they begin to believe that the Bible, they don't believe it's true, but then they'll begin to go, you know what? The word of God is true. Maybe that's you today. Like you're caught up with the reality of the signs of the times and the difficulties and from your perspective, you can just come to the conclusion, you may not be at the place where you believe what the Bible says, but you're at the place where you go, you know what? Things are bad and I don't think they're gonna get much better. But I hope they get better. And then we might ask you, well, where's, what do you mean? What's the root of your hope? We go, well, you know, they're working really hard on a vaccine. Yeah, but you know, there's something greater than a vaccine. Well, they're really working hard on, on, on trying to get the numbers in order and, and trying to get more tests and trying to work this over here and they're building this over there and we're just so hopeful. And you know, as Pastor Bob had shared with us, like the hope of your marriage and the hope of our country and the hope of your home and the hope of your family, that the government officials is not, they are not the hope of your life. They will not rescue you. They do not have the power or the wisdom or the understanding to handle the things that are happening in the end times. Jesus Christ alone is your hope in uncertain times. And you and I would do wise not only to be in that place of righteousness, but like Daniel said in Daniel 12, 
that we might shine as stars leading people to righteousness. And I know right now, leading people to righteousness is bringing up so much more mockery and blasphemy, just making fun of the church. You know, now uh, with rising numbers, I warned you guys, I told you not too long ago, and I don't know when this Bible study exactly will air on Abounding Grace, but in case it airs years in the future, we are in the middle of the COVID pandemic, the so-called second wave. We're in the midst. And I warned you guys a few weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, that the finger pointing will be at the church. It's all the church's fault. It's those people that come together and in a one room, they, they do the worst. They, they absolutely, they shouldn't be doing this. And we can't let them do this. And already California has put the hammer down, or so they say. And they say, come into the room, but don't you dare sing. What are you talking about? That's like saying, go to the movie, but don't you dare watch the screen. What do you think we do at church? We sing, and we sing loudly, and we sing proudly, and we sing of our hope in heaven. Well, it's the church's fault. You get a few little people here. It's the church's fault. It's that gathering. They're in that room. Hey, listen. It's not the church's fault. It's sin's fault. The root of every disease, the root of every virus, the root of every death, on the earth today is a result of man's rebellion against a holy and a righteous God. And the Bible defines that as sin. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't any one of us that's innocent. It wasn't too long ago that we lived a life that was in rampant, rebellious, continual sin against God. It wasn't too long ago in my life where I had no care or concern for the things of God, that I would have found myself taking advantage of the end times. But rather, God doesn't want us to take advantage of the end times. He wants us to lead people into righteousness. He wants our eyes firmly fixed upon him. He wants us to recognize the days in which we live. They're like the days of Noah. The days of Noah was filled with a population explosion. Some, ex- some estimate that there were 5 billion people living at the time of Noah. Imagine that. And I looked up uh, yesterday when I was finishing my notes, and as of yesterday on the planet Earth, there are 7.8 billion people on the planet. And there's a little counter that I found. It's just counting numbers, numbers, how many people living, how many people dying, and what the population is, 7.8 billion. Not only was it a population explosion, but in the times of Noah, like today, there was an increase of abnormal sexual behavior, abnormal sexual deviant behavior. We don't need to go into detail with that. Thirdly, in the times of Noah, there was also an obvious, it was obvious that man's imaginations were growing more evil and evil. You know the Bible says in the book of Romans to stay innocent of the things that are evil? And I think that that most of us as believers, we we live that way. Uh, We want to stay innocent of these things. You know, I even purposely stay away from some movies that are recommended to me because I I don't want that evil in my head. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to even, in some cases, know that it, that kind of evil exists. I don't want to be defiled by it. I, I want to be excellent, like the Bible says, in what is good. And I want to be innocent in the things that are evil. But, you know, the world doesn't live that way. The world's imaginations are continually finding more ways to sin and to take advantage of one another and to hurt one another. Another thing of the days of Noah is that violence filled the earth. It was a violent time. Murders and suicides were increasing and increasing. And I'm sure there was resistance toward law enforcement, whatever that looked like. 
a resistance to the law of God and just to common sense morality and having a moral compass. Despite the fact that God had raised up a man, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, warning them of the judgment to come. Despite the fact that day in and day out, Noah just kept building, kept building, kept building. Despite the fact that people recognized the days in which they lived, they just kept going business as usual. And man's mind became so polluted that even in his imagination, he began to dream up more and more evil. And man was fashioning their godless philosophies and obscene idols, developing uh, perverted and depraved minds that led to depraved and perverted sex acts. And it it was a time where God said, no more. No more. Man has gone too far. And think for a moment in the days of Noah, as bad as it says in Genesis 6, think for a moment, all of what we read in Genesis 6 is without technology, without the advanced technology we have today, without internet, phones, all the delivery systems for evil. None of the pollutants that we have today were available, the delivery mechanisms available to them, and they got to the edge. How much, how much more patient is God with us? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You've been listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, as we begin a new year, you have a new book to share with our listeners, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. And I think it's safe to say there are many that fit that description today. Troubled hearts are all around. How might this encourage those that are troubled? Well, Larry, it is day one of the brand new year, 2021, and what a privilege and joy it is that I have to introduce to you a book that's been seven and a half years in the making, about three years of preparation and editing, but finally we've got it in print. It's available on Amazon, and it is our pick of the month to begin the year. It's called, as you said, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. This is a book that's designed to encourage and strengthen those that are going through any trial. It it was a book born out of grief, my own personal grief after my son Eddie passed away at the age of 26. It's not a book solely about grief, though, because while it was birthed in deep pain and grief, it was written by the comfort of God and the encouragement of God and the experience of God's faithfulness in my life. And I wanted to share what the Bible has to say to troubled hearts. So whether you're in deep, deep discouragement and depression today, or you are looking to help a friend, or you're, you know, it, it, whatever the trial might be, um, God wants to encourage you and strengthen you. He wants you, as he said Jesus did in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But now if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll return and I'll take you so that where I am, you will be also. And I'm sorry if you have a troubled heart. Um, This book, born out of a series of Bible studies that I shared here at Calvary Church, is just the thing for you. And the reason we put it into print is because uh, some people just relate better to a book and a cup of coffee or your favorite uh, beverage, you know, and you're just sitting there being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And the thing about this book that's that's probably 
most encouraging is that it's it's just saturated with scripture uh, because the Bible, God using his word is what's going to bring real comfort to you. So I pick it up, whether you get on Amazon, you get it through the radio here, uh, however you get it, we want to encourage you. And it is a, it's almost like a personal note uh, that I wrote for you and for your family and for your friends. Uh, and I know that I know that God will use it. I know he has used it. The testimonies of it already coming back have been very, very encouraging. So grab a copy, and thanks for asking. We'll gladly send you a copy of Pastor Ed's new book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart, when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Simply call 877-30-GRACE. I'll repeat that, 877-30-GRACE. And please remember us in your giving to the Lord in 2021. It's by God's abounding grace that we come to you day by day. We pray God's richest blessings on you and your family in this new year. Remember, look to Jesus for hope in uncertain times. And then join us on Monday when we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's series, Understanding the Times on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.